right. Well, good morning. You braved the cold. You made it through the winter storm of 2022, and you made it to church. Uh, it is it's, it's cold out there. I'll tell you, as cold as it is outside right now, it was colder last night when the 30-plus teenagers and, and us were at Rock the Universe. It was cold. Um, and, and we told all these teenagers, hey, this isn't hoodie weather. Um, but there was a lot of hoodies at uh, Iraq the Universe last night and, and really low temperatures. But uh, I, it's, been, it's been neat uh, to not only have a great time uh, with, with those teenagers, uh, but then to see a ton of them here in our first service and in this service. And uh, I love it uh, that God's at work in, in our young people and, uh, and that God's at work in our old people and that God's at work in our middle-aged people and that God's just at work. Um, that's good. And uh, for those of you who are online, we're thankful for this technology that keeps us together, keeps us connected when you can't be here. Um, and so we just want you to know we love you and we're grateful uh, to be connected in this way with you. We are in the fourth week of this series game plan for life. And, and here's what I know. Um, if, you're, if you're paying attention to football at all, there are some really important games that are going to take place this afternoon. Um, and for, I'll just say this, uh, for those of you who know me um, and have been around this church for a long time, you know that I've never been a football fan. Um, but we've been doing football Sunday now for several years. And I've become a football fan because as a church, we're doing these football Sundays and I'm like, I should be a little bit more intelligent about what's happening. I should watch these games. And I've kind of gotten a little hooked and I've kind of gotten into some teams and I'm, I'm watching it more. And, you know, poor Melanie, she's like 22 years of marriage. My husband didn't watch football. Now, you know, I, I'm like, hey, you know, just so you know, I've, you know, I need to watch both games today. You know, it's my pastoral duty to the church. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, but... But there's some important games happening this afternoon, and the thing is, all four of these teams have spent hours and hours and hours watching game tape. All four of these teams have spent countless hours uh, just practicing and developing a plan, and how are we going to win this game on this day against this particular team? And it's so much energy has gone out of that, and what we're talking about in this series is how much more important is our lives? How much more important is not just our, our lives here in these moments, but, but our eternal lives? How much more important is it for us to, to develop a game plan to win, to be successful in life, to be successful in our relationships, to, to be successful in the way that God calls us to be successful? And so we've been just kind of looking at the importance of having a game plan, how we need to train in order to uh, accomplish and, and win in the game of life, we, we've got to have a training regime. And so, uh, in fact, last week we started a 21-day challenge where I encouraged you to read with us through the Gospel of John. There's, there's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. And I just said, if you're not reading the Bible, read it every single day for the next 21 days. I hope you've been doing that. You should be around day eight, depending on how good or how bad you've done on that. And if you haven't jumped in, jump in now. I talked to somebody on day two and they said, yeah, I'm on chapter 19. I couldn't stop. And I was like, good, just, just keep going. You know, just keep going. Um, but you know, that wherever you're at on there, I just want to encourage you to, to prioritize training spiritually. And today what I want us to talk about, I want us to think about the idea that if, if we want to win in the game of life, we've got to play by the rules. 
We've got to kind of stay in bounds, if you will. And I'll just say, in today's games and in the Super Bowl in a couple weeks, um, there will be penalties that are given. There will be flags that are thrown. And sometimes games are won and lost by penalties. Sometimes games are won and lost by, by flags that are thrown in certain places. And if we want to win in life, we've got to play by the rules so that we don't have some flags thrown in some critical areas of our life. And so if you're, if you're a note taker, if you're taking notes, uh, there are paper notes available and we have some amazing uh, auditorium hosts that will help you if you raise your hand. Somebody, I don't know who, is going to magically jump up and bring those notes to you. Um, and so if you slip your hand up, somebody will bring you some notes. If you're online or you have a smart device, you can scan that QR code and follow along uh, on the notes. Uh, but if you're a paper note taker, raise your hand, somebody bring it to you, scan that QR code. But write this down. I, I think this is important that, that we take some notes today. This first note is just this. Our commitment to integrity can easily be eroded by our love for progress. Our commitment to integrity can easily be eroded by our love for progress. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is our desire to win. We like to win, don't we? We... We like to be winners in, in finances. We want to win and achieve in, in family and in career. And we want to, we, we just like to win. I was thinking about the times that that has happened in my life where the desire to win has, has pushed uh, some of my integrity uh, and some of my choices to do the right thing because I had such a strong desire to win. And I was thinking about when I was in college. Um, there was a time where several of us found out that you could go to Walmart and you could buy these, uh, I think they were Talons was the name of them, but they were little CO2 cartridge paintball guns that had like a little 50 hopper on the top. And we discovered these were only like 25 bucks at Walmart and we're like, hey, we could buy these. We could start a movement. And so we, st- we bought a bunch of these paintball guns and we started you know, going behind the dorms and, and having these paintball battles at night. This was not authorized. We were, this is highly dangerous. Shop, we were wearing shop goggles. We were not wearing paintball goggles. We were, th- we were like, well, it was just CO2 cartridges. How dangerous can this be? And so we, we just started doing this. And, you know, we didn't ask permission. You know, the school didn't know we were doing this. And it started to grow. And I'm not a halfway kind of a person and just about anything in life. And so when I'm in, I'm all in. And so, you know, like my mission in life was to make this, it was, it wasn't quite like fight club, but it was paintball club. You know, we were, we were doing some serious paintball. And so what happened was this one guy finally upgraded and went from his little, you know, these were all pumped like, this is kind of like how they worked. This one guy went out and bought a legit full CO2, semi-automatic, I mean, like, and, and then, you know, the rest of us are like, dunk, dunk, and this one guy is just, you know, killing us. So then, you know, you know what happened. We all started upgrading. But the thing is, is after we all upgraded, there's like 20 of us that all have these great guns, but we still had these 20 original little talons. So what we would do is we would invite freshmen to join us. Hey, We've got this great paintball thing going on. And then we would say, we've got guns. They would go, I don't have a gun. That's all right. We've got a gun. We'll supply you a gun. Here's a gun. And we would give them these little CO2 cartridge, you know, pump talents. And, uh, 
and, and it was brutal. We would just, it was ugly. Um, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. Anyway, so um, this is a long story. I'll start it up. So the point is, we didn't have referees. This is, this is usually at night, late afternoon, you know, in the woods behind the dorm. Like, there's no referees. There's no people authorizing who, you know. And the only rule is, if you get shot, say, I got shot, and you walk out of the woods. The problem is, is when you're playing paintball, sometimes you get shot and you feel it because it hurts and you know you got shot, but you look down and it, the paintball didn't break and there's no mark on you. And it's at that moment that your desire to win sometimes pressed out your integrity to make the right decision. And, and, and I, I'll just have to be honest, there were a few times where I would get shot and I would think, well, there's no mark, and, and you would justify. And, and my passion for winning pressed out my integrity to do the right thing at that moment. It, it, it just it happens easily, and that's just one example. But all of us, for the rest of our lives, are going to have moments where our desire for winning is going to push up against our integrity. And, and sometimes our love for progress can be eroded, can erode our integrity. And so um, when, I, when I think about all of that, I, I think about these emotions because there's, there's several emotions that when you feel these emotions in the main passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to look at a, a character in God's word that dealt with these emotions. And when you face these particular emotions, you are going to be more tempted than ever to compromise your integrity. And here's the three emotions. You want to write these down. It's not fair. I deserve it. God wants this for me. I promise you, when you face these three emotions, you are going to be more tempted than ever to compromise your integrity and, and do something that could be super damaging in your life and in the lives of those around you. Whenever you feel, it's not fair. I mean, I, I, I deserve it. That God, God wants this for me. I mean, God wants me to be happy. God would want this for me. When you feel those feelings, be careful. Be careful. When, why does this happen? Uh, in your notes, you can just write this down. Our integrity is often tested the most when opportunity collides with our emotions. And, and here's the thing, the, the opportunities that will arise that collide with those emotions of, it's not fair, those emotions of, but I deserve this, those emotions of, well, you know, God would want this for me. When, whenever those collide, there is potential for great danger. And so if, if you don't have a game plan, this, this is why this is important for us to talk about, if you don't have a game plan for how you're going to hold on to your integrity when you are confronted with those feelings and those emotions, then you will slip because you will be confronted with those feelings and you will be confronted with those emotions and you will be confronted with those opportunities. And if you don't have a game plan for how you're going to address it at that moment, you're in trouble. And we see this over and over and over again. There are countless people who have, have demonstrated for us that no matter how successful you are, if you don't guard your integrity, 
Everything is in danger. I mean, just look at this list of people on the screen. I think of Pete Rose and Lance Armstrong and Barry Bonds and Richard Nixon and Benedict Arnold. These were all people that were super successful in their areas. These were people that, that achieved some of the greatest accomplishments in their fields. And yet, when we see that list, none of us celebrate all of their wins. We all think, ugh. We, we all have these negative feelings and emotions. Why? Because it didn't matter how successful that they were. It didn't matter how many wins they had. Jesus would say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Right? How... How much does it matter how many W's you have by your name if you compromise your integrity and you lose your legacy? In your notes, you can just write this down. The foundation of your legacy is your integrity. The foundation of your legacy is your integrity. And and the reality is we all are going to leave a legacy behind us. You will be remembered for something. And depending on how old or how young you are, you're thinking about this more or you're thinking about this less, right? But you will be remembered for something. And why does it matter how successful you are in whatever area you want to be successful if everybody remembers you because of your lack of integrity? It it doesn't matter. In fact, I, I want us to just say this out loud together. It's on the screen. My legacy depends on my integrity. Would you say that with me? My legacy depends on my integrity. Now, I want to say this one more time, but I want you to say it like you really mean it, okay? So, my legacy depends on my integrity. This is so, so true for us. And it's so hard for us to grasp how important this is. And and the reason is when we look at a list of those those names that I showed you, Pete Rose and Lance Armstrong and Barry Bonds and Richard Nixon and Bennett Arnold, when, when we look at that list, we all think the same thing. How could you be so stupid? We think that. But the reality is all of us are confronted with the same kinds of feelings and emotions and temptations. And none of those people started with something big. They all started with small things. And it grew and it grew and it grew until one day it ruined their legacy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 to 12, uh, there is this amazing passage that reminds us that all of us can fall to. I, I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. If you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can all lose our legacy because we lost our integrity. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says, these things happened. It's speaking about the the, the people in the Old Testament, particularly through the Exodus. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of age. I love the message paraphrase of these verses. The message paraphrase says it like this. These are all warning markers. Danger in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning and we are at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. 
Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. I love how the paraphrase uh, puts that there. So, so here's what I want to ask us. How can we cultivate a God confidence when it comes to our integrity and when it comes to these moments, these difficult places that we're confronted with? And, and what I want us to do is look at a passage of scripture, a chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to get them out, open them up, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you have your smartphone, uh, you can go to YouVersion, open it up. I, I think it's good for us to actually be able to highlight and, and follow along in a device or in your Bible. Uh, the words will be on the screen as well if you don't have either of those. But how can we handle our integrity when opportunities rise. And as you turn there, I just want to set this up for us just a bit uh, before we read it. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, there is a new king of Israel that is uh, kind of uh, given to the people. The people had demanded a king. God finally gave them a king. The king was King Saul. And King Saul, for a short time, did a really good job. I mean, he was on point. But very quickly into his leadership is king, he started kind of going his own direction, making his own choices, going in directions that were not pleasing to God. And so God told the prophet Samuel to go and anoint a new king. God said, you know what? This king is not doing what I've asked. I'm going to raise up a new king. And so he sends the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house. And uh, there in front of Jesse and there in front of his brothers... Samuel anoints the new king, who is the youngest brother. It's this young shepherd boy named David. And, and David is anointed as the next king of Israel. This is all fine and good. The only problem is, is the sitting king doesn't know anything about this. This is all fine. Like The dad and the brothers know that he's been anointed, but the sitting king, King Saul, has no idea what's gone on here. And over the course of time, David ends up in Saul's uh, kind of uh, house, if you will, uh, serving in his court. Um, and then David's fame just kind of keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. It all kind of comes to head in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, there was a really big problem. The big problem was named Goliath. And nobody wanted to fight Goliath. The, the Philistines, um, I don't know if you're Star Trek people, Philistines were kind of like the Klingons of the Bible. They were just always like fighting all the time, just always wanted to do war and battle. They were always the bad guys. And, and so the Philistines had this giant named Goliath and nobody would fight the giant. And David steps up to the plate and David defeats the giant. And I mean, when he does that, his fame skyrockets. And people start singing songs about David, and they start saying, you know, Saul, he kills his thousands, but David, he kills his tens of thousands. I mean, and, and you could just imagine when, when the rumors maybe start to, to roam, maybe, maybe this is the next king. I mean, even Saul wasn't willing to fight the giant, but this kid was willing, maybe. And you can imagine as these rumors start to float around how an insecure leader like Saul would just be wrecked by this. And, and so this insecure leader, Saul, 
uh, just eventually, out of jealousy, tries to kill David, puts a plan together to kill David, and, and twice throws a spear at him. It just side note, for you younger people in particular, if you ever have a job and your boss starts to throw spears at you through the day, get a different job, right? Like, He's in this court, like, and just randomly, like, the king starts throwing spirit, and then David's athletic, he dodges him, but one day, he's like, this is, this is going to go south for me, like, I'm, one day, I'm not going to dodge the spear, like, I should, I should get out of here, I should run, and so he does. He runs, um, and he takes a bunch of men with him, and he's running for his life, because now he knows Saul is trying to kill him, and he's wandering through the wilderness, I mean, 250 miles uh, some scholars say where he was bouncing from town to town to town. Just every time he would get to a town and they would think they had some comfort, there'd be somebody that would rat them out to the king and the king would get 3,000 men and go chase after him. And, and then they'd have to run to the next town and they'd hide out there for a while. And they were just doing this over and over and over. And they end up in this place called En Gedi. And it's a wilderness, it's a desert, and we pick it up there uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, that's the setup. This is where we're at. His men and David are hiding out in the caves in the middle of the wilderness. This is what we read. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, again, always fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So, I mean, you just, he gets everybody together, let, let's go get them. And, and you just put yourself in the shoes of David and his men. They're innocent. They haven't done anything wrong. This isn't fair. You can imagine these emotions. Like, it's not fair. This, I, I deserve to be the king, right? I mean, I, Saul, he's not even doing what's right. I, I deserve to be the king. And and God wants this for me. I mean, I know God wants this for me. God sent the prophet to anoint me to be the next king. All of these feelings, these emotions are, are running through David's mind and his men's mind. And we pick this up at verse 3, and, and this is what it says. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Now, if you want to know what that means in the Hebrew, it's exactly what you think it means. He had, a, he had to take a potty break. And there was no rest areas. There was no Wawa gas stations where you could like get a nice cup of coffee after you, know, you hit the bathroom. Like, just picture this. This 3,000 men... And they're just, they're all, you know, marching along and they're on horse. And the commander's like, halt! Saul kind of gets off of his horse and starts moseying up to one of the caves. And all the men are kind of looking down, trying to pretend like they don't know what's going on. You know, Saul, Saul's got to take a body break. Needs some privacy. Headed off to a cave. And so he, he gets to this cave to go relieve himself. And then it goes on and says... But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. 
You're on the run for your life. This guy's trying to kill you. And the very person who's leading the charge to kill you has to take a potty break. And of all of the caves he could possibly pick, he wanders into your cave. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this where you've been in a dark area for a really long time and your eyes have adjusted to the dark. And somebody else whose eyes aren't adjusted to the dark kind of walks in and you can watch them and see, you know, and they're like stumbling around and you're kind of giggling because, you know, you, you, you can see. This is it. They're in the way back of the cave. Their eyes are adjusted. They can see Saul as plain as daylight. He's kind of illuminated by the entrance of the cave. His, he's still, it's all bright and he can't see into the darkness of the, the far back. And he disrobes, gets in the most vulnerable position you could possibly imagine and there he is right in front. Now, if you're David, if you're David's men, what are you thinking right then? I mean, you're, you're probably thinking, man, this, this couldn't get any better. This is clearly of the Lord, right? I mean, clearly God has done this. Clearly, that this is something that, that God has orchestrated. And this, you know, th- this has definitely got to be something of the Lord. And, and so... Um, It goes on in verse 4, it says this, Now's your opportunity, David's men whisper to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of his robe. Now, could, could you think of anything else, if you were David's men or David, that would make this more of a God thing. This just feels like a God thing, doesn't it? And in your notes, you can just write this down. There's some lessons from 1 Samuel 24. This is a good blueprint for us to help us guard our integrity. The first lesson is this. Some of our greatest regrets in life started out as a God thing. Or is what we thought was a God thing. There are many, many people that would say, you know, just it felt like that was right. And they went down some roads that were destructive in their lives and in the lives of others. The problem is, is we think that we're good at reading circumstances. We think that we're like circumstance, you know, like, oh yeah, I can interpret the circumstances really well. And this is what we do. We, we interpret the circumstances, but the problem with David and his men and the problem with us is this is never emotionally neutral. It's never emotionally neutral when we're deciphering the circumstances. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this, where there's all these circumstances and you want something to go in a certain direction. And so you start kind of manipulating the circumstances and you're right because you want to make this decision and you want it to feel like the right thing. And and so, you know, the reality is we think we can interpret circumstances, but sometimes circumstances are just that. They're just circumstances. And... And it's not always a God thing. In fact, you can write this in your notes. An open door is not always an invitation from God. An open door is not always an invitation from God. In fact, somebody once told me, before you go through any open door, you better check to see whose hand is on the handle. You better see who's opening that door because Satan will oftentimes open doors for us to make it look really good and we'll go running through that saying, well, it must be God, there's an open door. And the reality is, is every open door isn't always a God thing. And we see this uh, in this passage of scripture. 
So 1 Samuel, picking it back up at verse, uh, the rest of, well, let me five. So after he cuts the robe in verse five, it says this, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And you wonder, well, how did he cut his robe? Well, he disrobed. He took his robe off, kind of put it to the side. And so he just cut off a piece of the robe. And, and it began to bother him that he took some of the robe. And the Lord knows I shouldn't have done this to my Lord, the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. So this is what happened. Saul came back with this piece of robe. And his, his guys are like, Saul, Saul, did you miss? <laughs> You're supposed to come back with his head, not with a piece of his robe. Like, what's going on? Like, what, what are you doing? We'll take care of this for you. I mean, you can imagine, like, his, his biggest and his strongest and his bravest and his most. No, we got this. You know, and, and you can just see David like, oh, no, guys, stop, stop. No, we're, we're not going to do this. We're, we're, we're not going to do this. And this is what David knew that his men didn't know. And you can write this down. There's two principles that I think we can learn from this passage that can be really helpful for us. The first one is this, a circumstance is never a God thing if it doesn't line up with God's word. A circumstance is never a God thing if it doesn't line up with God's word. David knew that it was against the law, it was against God's law to kill the king. It, it was it was against God's commands. It was against God's law for him to kill the anointed one of God. He knew this. And so it didn't matter how good the circumstances were. It didn't matter how much everything lined up. It clearly went against something that God said, don't do. And so he just said, we're not going to do something that God said, don't do, no matter how good the circumstances look. And, and he understood this principle. And the, the problem is, when you come to these places, you've got to say, well, what does God's word have to say about this? And what does God's wisdom have to say about this? And the reason I say God's wisdom is there are going to be times where, because again, we're, we're not emotionally neutral on this. And so there are times where we, t we want to make it work out for ourselves. And so we try to work it out to our interest. And, and so we say, well, God's word doesn't clearly say this. And God's word doesn't clearly speak to this situation. And, and, and so the reason we have to say God's word and God's wisdom, because there are many times where God's word does speak clearly to it. Every time the principles of God's word speak to it, but sometimes we don't want to decipher those principles. And so this is why we have to look to God's wisdom. And we need to find some people in our lives that we can be fully transparent with, and we can give them full permission to speak into our lives. You know why we don't do that very often? The reason we don't do that is because we know what the answer should be. And we know that if we talk to some godly people and we ask those godly people, hey, what do you feel like God is saying through this? We know what they're going to say and we don't want to hear it. So we don't ask. But we've got to look to God's word and we've got to include God's wisdom. And we've got to give people that, that are walking with the Lord the opportunity to speak into our lives and weigh in. And we see in, in verse 7... We pick it back up. This is kind of how this all ends. So David restrained his men, and after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. You could, first of all, you can just imagine like how embarrassing it had to be. Like, you know, I just went in there and disrobed and 
thought I had some privacy, and apparently there were 300 men hiding in the cave behind me. You know, it's like, whoops. Yeah, like, so whatever your most embarrassing moment is, probably not that. Um, so he's like, uh-oh, you know, all kinds of feelings, thoughts, emotions. Saul looks around, David bowed low before him, and then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say, I'm trying to harm you? Verse 10, this very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you, for I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I'll never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. I mean, this is just this amazing story of of David saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to follow God's way even though all the circumstances point that I should go in this direction. And David was willing to do something that most of us are not willing to do. David was willing to wait on God. He was willing to wait on God. Now, I would ask you, how many of you like to wait on God? But some of you would just raise your hands because you're in church and it would just be habit and you're like supposed to raise your hand when the pastor... But then you'd have to confess lying and it'd just be like this whole big, like, you know, then you'd, yeah. The reality is none of us like to wait on God, do we? We like things fast. I mean, if you can cook it in 30 minutes in the oven or you can microwave it in three, is this a hard decision? Um, I mean, we, we just, we like things fast, but we also know that the best food is crock potted, right? The best food is usually not microwaved. It's, it's cooked over a long period in a good smoker or a crock pot or, you know, but, but we don't like to wait. We want it super fast and we want it right now. We, we don't like to wait on God, but in your notes, you can write this down. When an opportunity requires that you cut corners, you might just cut God out. When an opportunity requires you to cut corners, you might just cut God out. And I think this is something that David understood. He he had the opportunity to expedite his becoming king. He could have cut some corners. It was lined up for him. The existing king comes in and you kill him. You take his life and exit the cave, the new king. I mean, it, it could have been that simple that day, quickly. No hesitation. I mean, th there was... There was the opportunity to expedite the process. And I, how many times do we want to help God along? We want to help God. We want to expedite the process a little bit. And, and we want to speed things along and, and help God with this. But in your notes, you can write this down. Integrity requires that I elevate God's timing over my ambition. 
Integrity requires that I elevate God's timing over my ambition. In any of the places in your life that you want to cut the corners, that you want to speed things up, that you want to help God out in some places, it it will feel like it will cost you to wait. And let me just tell you, it will. I know you don't want to hear that. It, It will feel like it will cost you to wait on God. And I just want to tell you, it will. It will cost you to wait on God. It cost David to wait on God. David could have been king that day. It will cost you to wait. But the reality is it will cost you so much more to not wait. It'll cost you so much more if you try to take the shortcut. You'll save something on the front end, but you'll lose so much more in the long run. And integrity may, integrity may cost you in the short term, but it's nothing compared to what you will lose in the long run. There are so many examples of this. Um, and I mean, just think, think about this from, from David's perspective. Just how, how good would it have been for the future king to assassinate the existing king? If you think about when, when any future leader assassinates the sitting leader, when that person becomes the leader, they have just infinitely increased the odds that somebody's going to assassinate them so that they can be the next leader, right? So there's just that piece like that he would have had a, high, a way higher likelihood of being assassinated himself if he would have assassinated the existing leader. But not just that. Think about this. Think about the fact. Can you imagine when he's old and he's gray and he's like sitting down and he's got his grandkids around him and the grandkids are all gathered around. They say, Granddad, tell us the story one more time about how you became king. And so he said to them, you know, this is how it happened, kids. You know, Granddad was in the back of a cave and it was dark and the existing king came in. And he disrobed and went to go potty. And granddad cut his throat. The grandkids would look at him and be like, granddad, you're crazy. Right? I mean, how do you tell that story? Like, how does that play out? Like, it, would, it wouldn't be this glamorous story that would hold on. So he would have won some things in the short term. But how much would he have lost in the long run? It cost him, I don't know, seven chapters of scripture, <laughs> whatever that is. It could have been months, could have been years, I, I don't know. You Probably commentaries would go back and forth on exactly how long it was, but it cost him some time. He didn't become king that day, but seven chapters later in scripture, there was a battle. Saul was at the battle. One of the enemy archers fired a, a loose arrow into the soldiers And that arrow went in and slipped in between the armor of King Saul. And Saul was killed. And that day, God elevated David to be king. David understood, I am not going to try on my own to replace what God has put in place. It's not my job to try to replace what God has put in place. And and, and David understood that. And he waited 
And because he waited, God elevated him in just the right time. And God gave him the, the seat as king. And because of that, he's known as the greatest king that Israel ever had. He's, he's known after a, a man after God's own heart. There were so many good things. And, and he was able to later sit down and tell his grandkids the story about how he became king. And it was something his grandkids could be proud of and not ashamed of. There, there are many people that believe that it was in the caves of En Gedi that David penned these words in Psalm 31, verses 14 to 15. It says this, But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. David understood that if, if you want to protect your integrity, that you have to elevate God's law over your own emotions. When you have those emotions of, I deserve this, when you have those emotions of, of this isn't fair, when you have those emotions of, well, God wants this for me. I mean, obviously God wants me to be happy. God, God wants these different things. Whenever you're confronted with those emotions and you're confronted with a situation, you've got to elevate God's law over your emotions. And David understood we have to elevate God's timing over our ambitions. And I just, I want to encourage you as you wrestle through the, the moments in time, because they're coming, right? We're going to be confronted with this over and over and over and over again. When you're confronted with a moment that you can take the shortcut, remember this passage and remember God's faithfulness when you're willing to say, I'm going to follow God's way and not the shortcut way. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence that empowers us to do the things that you call us to do. We, we thank you that you are not only a God who calls us to live with integrity, that you're not only a God who calls us to, to live in a certain way and, and to be obedient in certain things, but Lord, you're also a God that empowers us and strengthens us, that you not only give us power, but you give us new desires, that you work in us in significant ways to help us accomplish all that you have called us to do. And Lord, as we think about how many times we have felt these emotions of it's not fair, and as we think about how many times there has been someone in authority over us, or maybe that person is an authority over us right now, and, and, and we don't want to honor that authority, and we want to replace what you have put in place, God, I pray that you would Help us to remember that you always honor those that honor authority. Help us to remember that you always honor those that, that follow your pathway. And don't try to cut corners and don't try to take the shortcut. And when it's hard and when it's long, when it doesn't seem fair, that if we're willing to follow your word and we're willing to follow your way, that it will always end better and we won't lose our integrity. We won't lose the legacy that you want us to pass down to others. God, we're thankful for this chapter in your word. We're thankful for how it challenges us. We're thankful for the blueprint that it gives us to follow your way 
when that goes counter to what we want to be our way. Help us to be obedient in those moments. And we'll give you the praise when you do just that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We think about guarding our integrity. We think about doing what's hard, not taking the shortcut when that's always the easy thing to do. When we, we think about those moments when we're confronted with doing the right thing, when every part of us says, that's not fair. I deserve this. God, God wants this for me. When we think about the, the difficult moments, I want you to hear this because I don't want you to leave thinking it's up to you and you can muster up the strength because I'm just telling you, you will fail. Hear the word of the Lord. You are weak. I am weak. But hear this from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire. When you don't even want to do the right thing, he can give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. As you go from here, may you be filled with new desires. May you be filled with new power, not from you, but from God, as you surrender to him so that you can do the right things when it's hardest. Go in his peace. You're dismissed.